Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Both of our guests today are statewide office holders seeking re-election in 2019. State Treasurer Allison Ball made history this year, becoming the first constitutional office holder to give birth while in office. She also has some proposals for the 2019 legislative session and her office holds millions of dollars worth of unclaimed property and some of that could have your name on it. We'll be talking with Treasurer Ball shortly. But first, Agriculture Commissioner Ryan Quarles is here. Commissioner Quarles was in Washington the day President Trump signed the federal farm bill right there with the president. Then he rushed over to the U.S. Department of Agriculture to file Kentucky's plan to allow farmers in the Commonwealth to grow hemp. That makes Kentucky the first state in the union to have that process underway. Commissioner Quarles leads an area with wide responsibilities in state government. He's with us today on Kentucky Newsmakers. Thanks. Welcome back. Good to see you. Glad to to be here, Bill. This has been a long drama for Kentucky farmers who have uh, wanted some clarity in the in the uh, rules about hemp. Uh, the issue has evolved over the years. A few years ago, some seeds were confiscated yeah. uh, here in Kentucky. Uh, law enforcement has strongly opposed it uh, throughout uh, much of the debate. What factors were at play that uh, that prompted Congress to allow the nationwide hemp growth? I'm so proud that after nearly two generations of effort. In five years of research status here in Kentucky, industrial hemp is now a legal commodity in the United States. And it's because Kentucky proved to the rest of the nation that here in the Commonwealth, we can grow a crop that my great grandfather grew, grow it in a responsible way, work with law enforcement, and prove that it's not a novelty, but it's actually a crop that is producing products that Americans want to buy. And we were so proud that President Trump signed the, the 2018 Farm Bill just last week, and it included Leader McConnell's language to legalize industrial hemp. The reason why it got inserted into the Farm Bill is not only due to just Leader McConnell's leadership, but also the fact that here in Kentucky, we have the best model program in the nation that other states are replicating, and it's giving our farmers an agronomic choice when it comes to planting crops next year. Was that experimental program uh, smooth throughout? I mean, I know that we would hear that there were some instances where there were some issues uh, out there. Uh, have those been ironed out as, as the program went along? I believe so, and with any new innovative process, there's always gonna be some kinks along the way. We started out with 32 acres in the very first uh, uh, research pilot prot, uh, pr production year. This year in 2018, we doubled how much acreage was planted from 2017 with nearly 7,000 acres. Next year, we have over 45,000 acres requested to be grown in Kentucky. We have worked with law enforcement. We want to make sure that they have a seat at the table. And just a couple weeks ago, we had our annual Industrial Hemp Advisory Board meet and law enforcement was there to make sure that we're learning from them, but also so that our marketers and manufacturers can also help educate people about what hemp is and more importantly what hemp is not. And you want to make the point that uh, people can't just go out and, and plant hemp in their yard. Uh, th there is still a licensing process and that That's still right. goes through your department. Right? And with the passage of the Farm Bill, people still need a license through a state program. So Kentucky Department of Agriculture will continue through 2019 and beyond to administer an industrial hemp program. And so if you're interested in growing hemp or processing hemp, please contact our office because you still need to have a license through a state program. And that's so that law enforcement knows where it is. That's right. And that's one of the things we've worked with them is that they need to know exactly where hemp is going to be grown and processed uh, long before that happens so that there's no uh, confusion or misconceptions. How much of a head start does Kentucky have on other states in growing hemp? 
I think we're near the top. And the reason I say that is because we have a framework, a legal framework that's, that's workable. There are growers and processors are able to have assurance. There's integrity in the program. Another thing that we have here in Kentucky that other states don't is that we have wide-based research that includes our universities, includes our farmers, but also in, involves people from all around the world. They're coming to Kentucky primarily because we have the history. Henry Clay used to grow this crop. It's a crop that a lot of Kentucky farmers that when I travel the state, their grandparents or sometimes their parents grew it. And so we have the infrastructure and the critical mass. Now it's time to unleash the economic potential of industrial hemp. Commissioner, do we lose any advantage in Kentucky now that hemp is nationally legalized? I mean, it used to be that we had that experimental program and other right. states couldn't do it. Uh, now the, is the playing field leveled? Well, I think it's a race towards innovation now. And I think that Kentucky is the best positioned state out of anyone in America with having a framework that works. We have companies moving to Kentucky from other states because our program is more streamlined than others. And we also have the reputation of having integrity with our program. And so as the industrial hemp race towards innovation occurs, we're well ahead of most other states because they're just now getting started and getting off the ground. Whereas here in Kentucky, we're already flying. It would seem few crops have as many applications as hemp. Give us an idea of the range of products that, uh, that hemp is used in. We have processors making uh, insulation out of hemp. We have a house here in Lexington that was built out of hempcrete. We're looking at other fabric products. We're trying to link industrial hemp with the automotive industry here in Kentucky as well. We have a processor that's selling hemp in Kroger stores right now, hemp seeds, people are using them on their salads like sesame seeds. And perhaps the most uh, intriguing part of industrial hemp is the nutraceutical value, primarily CBD compounds and other compounds found in the plant that appear to have uh, benefits towards people who may suffer from epilepsy, seizures, uh, joint pain. And so we're excited that the medical community can now have more assurance to do more clinical based peer-reviewed research with industrial hemp. Are there still some questions about how that eventually will get licensed and, and allowed to be produced? Well, the next big fight is going to be what FDA decides to do with CBD. It's my opinion uh, that we need to give Kentucky farmers, particularly our small farmers, a chance and our processors to continue to process industrial hemp and produce uh, these compounds that our people are buying. And it, we need to make sure that it's classified as a nutraceutical. So you can go to like a GNC or a CVS and pick it up as a supplement to your health care, kind of like an omega-3 or B12 vitamin. Senator McConnell said shortly after this was passed that he could foresee the day when hemp could be uh, as large as tobacco was to, uh, to Kentucky's economy. Uh, is that realistic in your view? We're a very careful Department of Ag to tell our farmers that we don't know if it's going to replace tobacco. We don't give anyone a false hope, but I can say this. We have hundreds of new jobs that exist in Kentucky today that didn't exist just last year. We have uh, people buying millions of dollars worth of Kentucky-grown, Kentucky-processed hemp that didn't exist just a couple years ago. And so we view this as an economic development initiative. It's something that we're doing better than any other state. And whether or not it replaces tobacco, I think the future uh, we'll see. Let's talk about this licensing process uh, here as we wrap up on hemp. Do uh, Is there some kind of allotment per uh, county? or community or we decided to put the research in the hands of the farmers and so if someone comes to us and wants to apply and their application is successful uh, they're free to grow as much as they want to now we remind people 
that it's still an innovative crop, that there is financial risk involved with this, but there's no quota or allotment system with industrial hemp. How will you continue to try to market hemp? I mean, uh, now that Kentucky is uh, all in with this and you say we have the advantages, uh, is it a Kentucky Proud product, for instance? Industrial hemp continues to be and will be a Kentucky Proud product, and we're so proud that a lot of our processors are putting that little Kentucky Proud logo on their final product. And we're gonna to continue to work with our cabinet for economic development. It's my opinion that these hemp companies deserve the same status, the same incentive programs that other companies have in Kentucky, whether it's a manufacturer moving to Kentucky, uh, say if the automotive industry, but they need, our hemp companies need to be treated in the same way. And I think that we're on pace to have that incentive package together for promising hemp companies in Kentucky. All right, we'll be following, see how it goes. Do you have any initiatives before the state legislative session that begins uh, here in literally a few days now? Well, we're gonna have several bills this year, but perhaps one of the most intriguing ones involves uh, lab-grown meat. Uh, here in Kentucky, we are a livestock state. We're the biggest beef cattle state east of Mississippi River. We're so proud that we're selling Kentucky Proud beef in the Kroger right now. And we wanna make sure that as this new technology comes online, that, uh, that we make sure that we protect our beef cattle farmers here in Kentucky. And so people are free to eat whatever they want to. But I don't know about you, but if I'm gonna buy a steak, I, I prefer to it have come from a, an animal of hooves instead of grown in a lab. So your goal would be to be restrictive on the on the lab meat, huh? Not restrictive, but making sure that there's a clear label. There's a label that differentiates between what's lab-grown and what is uh, homegrown, I guess you could say. And just ask a dairy farmer in Kentucky how they feel uh, about almonds uh, being marketed as a dairy milk product in grocery stores. And so we wanna make sure we get ahead of the curve. And here in a big livestock state like Kentucky, we wanna make sure that we stand up for our 38,000 beef producing farms in Kentucky. It's been a, a tough weather year in Kentucky. Uh, it has to have been tough on the crops. I know there's a national declaration uh, in right. a lot of the Commonwealth. You know, unfortunately, we had a great looking crop year until about the end of August. It was a wet year going into August, but then the rain started and didn't stop. Here in central Kentucky, we have over 70 inches of rain and it really affected us around harvest season. There's tobacco that, that literally never made it to the barn. A lot of our soybeans and, and corn are rotting in the field. And so as we speak today, as we close out 2018, one third of all counties in Kentucky are underneath a USDA disaster relief declaration. Uh, and we're trying to help our farmers out right now. But unfortunately, there's a lot of crops out there that are just not marketable. We don't know what uh, obviously the new year will bring in terms of the weather, but uh, that variable has to be uh, very difficult for farmers. That's part of the risk they take. Huh? That's right. And as a farm kid myself, right. one thing I learned as a young, young man was that in farming, you can do everything right and still lose money. And it's because of these natural weather variables that you can do everything right. And it just takes one bad weather event that can knock you out. And so if you know any farmers, be sure to say thank you because we're part of the safest, most abundant food supply system in the world. Americans spend less of their disposable income than any other modern country on putting food on their table. And a lot of times farmers don't get the credit they deserve, especially during tough production years like 2018. And so many people are so disconnected from the process these days. I mean, I, I right. venture a lot of kids really don't know where the food comes from. They don't. And in fact, 16 million Americans honestly think that chocolate milk comes from brown cows and white milk comes from white cows. And so we're trying to educate people 
everyday Department of Agriculture to, to help uh, not only uh, maybe inspire a young person to choose agriculture as a career, which is, which is uh, one-fifth of all jobs in America, but also educate some adults about the difference between a soybean and a green bean. You are running for re-election in 2019. You have a primary opponent, at, at least one at this point. Do you anticipate a, a, a you know, strong re-election battle ahead? Well, I'm, I'm going to run uh, a race as if we're 10 points behind. Uh, I am proud of the record that we have at the Kentucky Department of Agriculture, something that I'm proud of. We're doing more with less. We're saving taxpayers money. We are uh, helping cut down on credit card fraud across Kentucky by, by working with the Secret Service to help cut down on skimmers on our gas pumps. We are marketing more crops than ever, and we're seeing growth periods uh, in places like poultry across Kentucky. I'm proud of the job that we've done. Kentucky Proud continues to connect consumers with our farmers. And one of the crowning achievements of 2018 is a brand new baseball stadium at UK, which will generously be named Kentucky Proud Park due to the naming rights uh, from Kentucky Farm Bureau. Are the Republicans assuming that, uh, that Governor Bevan will be at the top of the ticket? Uh, he has said he will run for re-election. At this point, he hasn't filed, though many of the other candidates have filed for re-election. I believe Governor Bevan will be seeking a second term, and I'll be focusing on my race uh, for Kentucky Commissioner of Agriculture. Appreciate you coming. Thank, Thank you. you, and Merry Christmas. Thank you, and we hope you'll stay with us on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. Coming next, Kentucky State Treasurer Allison Ball joins us, and she'll be talking about some things she's proposing for lawmakers to consider and some things her office could be holding that might belong to you. It's coming up. Welcome back to WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. It's been a big year for Kentucky State Treasurer Allison Ball, who became the first state constitutional officer to give birth while in office. She oversees Kentucky's assets and investments, and she's on the state lottery board. Treasurer Ball has some proposals that she wants the state legislature to consider when they come to Frankfurt early in the new year. And her office holds tens of millions of dollars worth of property because they haven't been able to find the rightful owners. Some of that could be yours. Treasurer Ball is also seeking re-election in 2019, so it's a busy year ahead. Treasurer Allison Ball joining us on Kentucky Newsmakers. Good to see you. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thank you. And congratulations on the year, by the way, the Thank new you. arrival. Uh, it uh, has been uh, an interesting year. You and your husband welcomed a son uh, back uh, earlier. Uh, how has that changed your perspective on things? Oh, I tell you what, everybody told us this is going to rock your world, and they were exactly right. Uh, we're having a wonderful time with our little boy. He's the sweetest little fellow, and I think it really does change your perspective you know if you serve in public office um, you know, you're there because you care about making a difference and helping the people of your state but once you have a little one it, it just makes it all the more real and now I think about the future much more and uh, future generations and it's interesting you know we said that you're the first and that now since that uh, Secretary of State uh, has uh, given birth Allison Lundigan Grimes and uh, you know as more women are in office yes. and more young women in office yes. we may see more of this yes oh, I think it's a great thing for Kentucky and uh, I think it shows that uh, you know we're not afraid to put young women in office we know that everybody has something to contribute and I just think it's a wonderful sign for the health of our of our state that we recognize that you have championed financial literacy during your time in office uh, we have a real problem with uh, people uh, not having the basics about how to handle money in many cases and to some of the decisions that have to be made along the way uh, it's now required in school and your office has been a part of, uh, of getting that out there that's correct that's correct so I practiced bankruptcy law before I became a state treasurer 
And so because of that, I really got a hands-on knowledge about where people were financially in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And it's not been good. There's always an organization that rates states on how they're doing and that we've been rate, rated in the bottom 10% uh, of the whole country, which is not where you want to be. And I've seen that firsthand, that we've really had uh, some, some areas we've needed to grow on that. So that's been one of my commitments while in office, is I want to help people make sure they know what to do with their money. And so, what typically uh, is the thing that Kentuckians are, are, are bad at? Well, uh, it, they're not getting trained about this in school. And that was one reason why last uh, session I pushed really, really hard to make sure that this was a, uh, a course or requirement that people had to get before they graduate from high school. So this is now something you have to learn. You've got to at least know the basics before you graduate from high school uh, about how to manage your money and what to do with balancing a checkbook and just all those basic functions that you need to know when you're an adult. Uh, and, and a lot of people think, oh, you know, I'll, I'll learn this along the way. I'll have mom and dad teach me. I'll have a Sunday school teach me. You know, so somebody will teach me these, these uh, things that I need to know. And, and we've seen just firsthand people were missing this. So this is an area that's needed to be addressed and it's getting addressed. So, so like I said, right now there's a requirement. If you're going to graduate from high school, you've got to know what to do with your money. And so you're talking about just the mechanics in this case, yes. but in, in other cases, you know, there's the discipline with money, the, the, right. the, the saving some or the not overextending yourself. Do you, oh, is right. that being taught as well? Absolutely. That's now something that's going to be part of the requirement is that you just need to know how to manage your money. How are you going to take care of yourself? So out of that, I've actually developed a coalition of everybody in the Commonwealth of Kentucky who uh, is doing something on financial literacy. And there's a lot of people. There's junior achievement. Uh, there's uh, a number of school programs. There's a lot of people in a lot of areas who are addressing this. So I've put together this coalition. And out of this coalition, I've launched the very first uh, database that shows everything that's available in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Free things. Uh, some things are programs, but, but things that are available for people. Uh, students as well as veterans or uh, senior citizens or people with a variety of needs who can learn how to manage their money and make good financial decisions. So this is something that I, I've been uh, very serious about and that's actually part of my legislative agenda this year is that I want to uh, launch a commission which is going to be, it's going to be a nonprofit organization but it's going to be headed up by the treasurer's office. So it will uh, provide resources for people, especially teachers as they're trying to meet, meet this new high school requirement. Uh, but it won't be taxpayer paid. It'll come from the private sector. So it's a great way to meet this need without putting more cost on the state, which is what, something we don't want to be doing right and, now. And this commission would do what exactly? So it actually will be uh, essentially a, a nonprofit type organization. So the, the money will come from the private sector. And I already have agreements from the private sector to, to fund this. And uh, it's going to have to be passed legislatively to be uh, set up with the right type of system. So that way teachers can use it to meet those requirements for, for high school graduation. What else do you uh, plan to bring before the legislature in the coming weeks? Well, I have several items on my agenda, and uh, one of them, you mentioned unclaimed property, and that's one of my uh, most interesting areas in the office. Uh, I have uh, lots of what we almost call the statewide lost and found. It's property that belongs to people, uh, but they've somehow lost track of it. And one of the things that I want to see uh, to protect those funds is to create a trust for unclaimed property dollars for the future. Um, because we need to make sure that this is something that is never able to be swept. This belongs to people. We need to make sure that they can always get their property back to them. And uh, while I've been in office, I've looked at ways to make this more efficient, make it better. And I think I've done a good job uh, improving it. I've returned more unclaimed property than any other treasurer in the same length of time. But I want to think about the future. I want to make sure that this money is always protected for people. And I have a, a plan to create a trust that will protect those, those dollars, make sure that they are always available for people. And uh, there'd also be a way to invest the money so that way uh, it's actually going to be used the proper way while we have track of it. So while it's in our, our control, 
we can invest it long term. Right now, we do over, overnight investments, which isn't was, isn't very good. So, so uh, let me be clear. What what happens with that right now? If it goes unclaimed for a number of years, does it eventually end up in the, the state treasury? So it, it always belongs to people, yeah. but there's always a chance that it can be swept up the money. So so nobody ever loses their property rights ever. But uh, if you're not careful with that money, uh, we know from, from times past, sometimes the General Assembly w wants to use it and kind of create an IOU and, uh, and, and decide at some point they'll put the money back in there. I want to make sure that there's never, ever, ever a risk of this property. So uh, I want to create a trust, protect it no matter what. It's always there. And also to be able to uh, use those dollars, invest them, so that way they're actually making some money, not just uh, not just sitting there. What is the, the, the range of items that your office holds? Well, it's a great question. So everybody always thinks about money, and that's correct. It's a lot of money. It's about a half a billion dollars of unclaimed property, uh, which comes from stocks or uh, insurance proceeds or uh, just some uh, bank account that's gone dormant, whatever. But we actually have items too. I have a vault in the office and I have military medals. Uh, interestingly enough, there's a lot of teeth in the vault. A lot of people have kept their teeth in, in um, lock boxes at banks, so it's made their, its way to me. Uh, a lot of uh, personal items that are important to people like letters, uh, wills, items like that. And then you have the occasional comic book or uh, baseball cards or collectible coins and, and uh, just a variety of items. All sorts of things. Yes, yeah. You, you were surprised to find that uh, you had uh, unclaimed property when well, you took office. That's true. My first day in office, the uh, the staff came up to me and they said, by the way, Treasurer, you've got about $90 in unclaimed property. And I was, I do? So uh, that was a, a neat experience for me that I found out, hey, uh, everybody might have unclaimed property. You've really got to keep an eye on this and I need to get it back to you. So if people uh, feel they may have unclaimed property or they want to check, maybe it's there and they don't know it, uh, what do they do? Well, this is the perfect time to be checking for it because everybody just had Christmas and uh, Christmas always comes with a lot of bills and this is a great way to make sure that you've got a little extra cash. So I always tell people, please check missingmoney.com. Uh, that's actually a national database, so it includes Kentucky as well as other states. You can go to my website too and just check for Kentucky alone. But if you go to missingmoney.com, just put your name in, put your family members' names in, your uh, neighbors, folks that you know, uh, just put it in there and you'll see if you have unclaimed property. It's pretty easy. Uh, we've streamlined it, we've made it very efficient. So you fill out some documentation, you prove that it's you, and uh, we work real hard to get it back to you very quickly. And, and I think we do a pretty good job of it. But you know, just to give you kind of an idea of how much money, I pulled up Fayette County just as an example before we got over here. There's about $44 million of unclaimed property associated with Fayette County. And I returned about $1.7 million to Fayette County last year. So that tells you, you know, I'm, I'm working hard to get it back to people, but there's a lot that's still in there. Again, the website for folks? Missingmoney.com. Uh, it's real easy. You just put your name in there, you take a look, and you see if you've got unclaimed property. All right. We're with Kentucky Treasurer Allison Ball and talking a lot of issues. And uh, we'll come back in just a moment. What about this pension issue? And uh, is she concerned that it could impact Kentucky's ability to borrow? We're coming back in a moment. Welcome back to WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. Those of you who are not scrambling to missingmoney.com now <laughs> to find that unclaimed property. Uh, we're visiting with the Kentucky State Treasurer Allison Ball and continuing our discussion. Uh, many say that, you know, we're talking about uh, Kentuckians as a whole. Uh, individuals have uh, issues with financial literacy, but that our own state government doesn't handle money very well, uh, financial issues. We have an estimated $38 billion unfunded pension liability. The total 
liability is maybe $80 billion or so in Kentucky. Do you see that as a, a millstone around the necks of Kentuckians? Uh, absolutely, I do. And, uh, you know, we we're just talking about something happy, uh, unclaimed property, that's an enjoyable topic to talk about. But uh, pension issues are uh, just un an unfortunate reality right now. I sit on the teacher's retirement board, and so I have uh, very very uh, clear first-hand knowledge about what's actually going on with our pension systems. And the teacher's system is better than uh, the KRS one, the one for general government employees. So it, it is a very, very serious problem. It's one that's been growing for a number of years. And uh, you kind of mentioned briefly what's this going to do to our rating. Well, uh, we know already that this is going to have a very negative impact on our rating. So it's a serious problem. It's one that you can't just keep kicking down the can down the road. Uh, it really does need to be addressed uh, very seriously in this, this session coming up. And if your rating is lower, you pay more to borrow money, That's right? correct. That's correct. And, and uh, I, you know, talking about financial literacy, people understand that. When, when you uh, look like you've got bad credit, you've made bad financial decisions, then it's much harder, harder to uh, take out loans. And that's what we do when we bond things like uh, bridges and roads and other items that, that we need in the state. So uh, this actually will have a very serious, it's already had very serious uh, impacts on us and it will continue to do so. It's very difficult to get to objectivity on this uh, from from the uh, political class in particular sure. because uh, you know the, the the Democrats claim that in 2013 uh, there was a bill passed that if that is fully funded over the years things eventually work out and that not everybody's going to retire tomorrow but the governor says the problem remains and that this is a financial crisis for the state well it, it's a it's a math problem uh, so clear and simple it's a math problem and you can look at the numbers of what's coming in what do we have and uh, and unfortunately when you are uh, having to pay out lots of money, then you start having to spend your investments. And that's part of our problem, too, is you start having to divest yourself of what you, you need. You need to have that money for the future. So it's a math problem, and it's serious, and we need to do something about it. And I, and I encourage the General Assembly to take a very serious look at it uh, this next session. I know it's a short session, but we need to do something on it. You're seeking uh, re-election in 2019. Uh, when every constitutional office is up, do you anticipate uh, a tough race ahead, potentially? Well, I, I hope not. Uh, I think I've done a good job in office. Um, you know, we're talking about unclaimed property. I return more than any other treasurer uh, in Kentucky's history for this period of time. But I'll tell you something else that I, I'm very proud of is this is supposed to be a watchdog role. And, uh, and I, I have uh, made sure that it is that watchdog role, protecting taxpayer dollars. And I've done that by occasionally actually stopping payments. I'm an attorney by background. I've stopped payments when uh, it's not been legal or constitutional. There's been a problem with it, and I've stopped the payments because I actually do check to see is this going where it's supposed to? Uh, and then one thing that's not really public knowledge yet, but uh, right before Christmas, we had a very sophisticated, very serious fraud attempt. Uh, the first one was in the amount of about $5.3 million. Uh, and then we've had several other ones uh, since then, all connected to each other, uh, varying from about $700,000 to about $80,000, $83,000. Within state government? Um, trying to get money from state government. So the, there were outside sources that were uh, very sophisticated. They looked like they were legitimate. And I've, I've drilled my team to make sure that they know we are watchdogs. We check everything. We make sure everything is correct. And I'm so proud of my staff because uh, one of the things that I've, I really had them go through was a lot of training on cybersecurity and how do you know when something's fraudulent and uh, something just didn't pass the smell test. And, uh, and we caught some very serious fraud that uh, without, without, I think, a lot of training, they wouldn't have caught. Thanks for coming, Treasurer. Appreciate it. That's Kentucky Newsmakers. Thanks for joining us. Have a good week ahead.